0: Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler.
1: Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. And today there's three of us. Matthew from down south. How you doing today, buddy?
2: I'm doing well. I'm in air conditioned office. And so it's it's nice in here.
1: How does it feel to live basically on the surface of the sun down there?
2: <laughs> I stay inside a lot this time of year. <laughs> I bet you do. So I walk outside here, like, are you okay? I was like, guys, this is hot. <laughs> like, I'm going to die. Do you duct tape deodorant
1: to your armpits? Is that how you make it through a day down in Mobile? Because that's what I would have to do. <laughs> it would be absolutely brutal. So uh, there's a reason hell is hot and not cold. I'm just going to say that and leave that where it at.
2: Facts. So. Yes. Uh, and
1: then Brent Snyder is also joining me today, recording from High Top, Avery County, there in Dogtown, AKA Minneapolis Baptist Church. How you doing, Brent?
3: It is a chilly 76 here today, and no need for duct tape on your armpits. That's
1: that's more after God's part right there. What's that?
2: Y'all just need to hush.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so guys, we're going to talk about a topic today, and uh, that topic is going to be how do we think through and measure disciple-making in the local church? And let me just, I want to give an introduction to this conversation to kind of get us framed in the right way. And that is, uh, I going to borrow some of these concepts, actually quite a few. And most of from a gentleman who wrote the book, future church, seven laws of real church growth. Uh, we'll, I'll I'll mention it in the notes. I have to do that since we just did a episode on plagiarism, right? So, uh, Mm -hmm. gotta make sure we give credit where credit is due. Uh, Oh, it is 101 in Mobile. I just got that on the little thing. Yeah, good luck with that. That's all I can say. (laughs) Hey, uh, since this is the last thing I'm going to say about temperature, then we're going to move on. Uh, One of the guys here at Grace, he went and did a trip out to Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona. It is so hot there that the trash cans were melting to the roads and that uh, the airplanes were not allowed to land because when the tires touched the pavement at the airport, they were afraid that they would pop or melt into the asphalt. Wow. So So it's hot. All right. Anyway, back to the discussion. How do we measure this? Now, let me, let me see if I can set this up in the book. He makes this observation. He actually says that many churches are doing faking discipleship instead of making disciples. So Mm -hmm. they're faking disciples instead of making disciples. And uh, I think he's wrote another book where he goes more into detail with this. One thing that I found fascinating was he sets up a dichotomy between input results and output results. So when we're thinking through the input results, most of the time when you get a group of pastors together, guys, what kind of questions do they ask each other to get a feel for what their church is like? A pastor they just met.
3: How's your attendance?
1: attendance yep budget what's your budget's like anything else come up
2: when when they're asking what's the church like i think oftentimes it's, they also ask like what kind of worship do you have
1: worship sets and and sometimes even buildings like are you all do you all yeah. have a building or do you not have a building so he calls yeah. those abc attendance buildings cash abcs right so what's how much how do you deal with your cash how many people are coming and what about the building now The the thing about this is because this is easy to measure, right? Yeah. I think the Bible even tells us that we tend to focus on what is seen and not what is unseen. Mm. And whenever we're trying to figure out what churches are doing well and what churches aren't doing well, those are some those are some rubrics we tend to look at. And he says this is kind of problematic because to be quite honest, this is these are the raw materials that's needed to make disciples. The call of the church is Jesus said there, go therefore in the great commission and do what make disciples. Yeah. So the point he's making here is where your measure is there. Will your heart be also. And I think there's a lot of reasons that people default to the ABCs when they're talking about churches, right? Like, I think in yeah. the business world, that's easy, right? That's, that is the rubric for success in a lot of businesses, right? Wouldn't you agree? You know, how many people are coming in, how much money's in hand, and all that. But the church is a little different, right? Yeah. So when we're aiming to make disciples, what are we really talking about here, guys? What are we trying to build here in the church?
2: I, th- I think when it, when it comes to me, if I'm saying anything about making disciples, I'm thinking about making people that are dedicated to living out the life Christ has called us to live.
1: Brent, would you add anything to that? Um,
3: yeah, I, I was just going to say, you're you're trying to reproduce um, faithful image bearers of Christ.
1: And I would add that they're hopefully reproducing, right? Yeah. So that they're reproducing disciples as well. Yeah. Uh, the last thing you want to do is, is have a bunch of people come in and think that they're just church consumers. That their yeah. job is to come in and just critique, judge, and grumble and complain when things are not done to the way they want it done. Second uh, Corinthians 4.18, we fix our eyes on what is seen, but on what is unseen. And then Second Corinthians 5.7 tells us we live by faith, not by sight. And so if you think about in terms of building disciples, the ABCs are really like the raw material. Let me see if I can put this in another way. Let's pretend like we all work for Toyota. You want to do that? Don't one of you have a Toyota? Both of you have Toyotas, don't you? All right. I have two. Let's pretend like we we just, you have two. Uh, Let's pretend that we just opened a Toyota factory here in the mountains. All right. Hmm. As many Toyotas are probably more American built now than a lot of the big three. Right. So we'll go with them. All right. Would we count success? as a business by the number of pieces of steel we receive the number of tires we receive and the number of batteries we receive into the factory or would we count success as a as a toyota truck factory the number of trucks we produce
2: trucks we produce yep we would sound absolutely ridiculous saying guys we brought in a million batteries this year give it up for a million batteries
3: <laughs> look, at our, look at our inventory <laughs>
1: <laughs> hold up the inventory sheet wave it high guys we have more steel on hand now than we have ever had in the history of this company Can you believe that give yourself a pat on the back right yeah uh and uh, we also know that if you if you approach making trucks and toyota trucks that way what's going to happen to a factory like that
3: Shut her down, boys. She's stuck in mud.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's they're not going to be interested in keeping a a a truck factory like that. Much less churches in a similar fashion who are just celebrating uh the numbers and the raw material, the input material, and not looking at the output. You know, it's not just churches that are bad about this, but even like parachurch organizations, are you all familiar with the, uh, there's a magazine and a magazine company called Outreach Magazine. Have you guys ever heard of them before? Okay. Brent has. I have. Yeah. My buddy Sam Rayner used to write for them. Some every year, every year that I can remember Outreach Magazine lists 100 of the largest and 100 of the fastest growing churches in America with the senior pastor noted in the description. Okay. And the main rubrics that they use and they credit are basically the ABCs. They don't even talk about, you know, what you actually should be focused on in in disciple making, just how many people are coming in, how big is the budget, how big is the building and the campuses, you know, what else going on there. So let's talk about this. When we're thinking about how do we properly measure output for a church, right? Well, I said a minute ago, input versus output. What are the kind of things we're looking for?
2: That's a good question. Um, I, mean, I mean, for me, if I'm sitting there thinking of, of output is how many people are we sending out who are faithfully living out the Christian life and making a difference in the communities in which they live. So how many people are going out and serving? How many people are going out and in, in their workplace, seeing that as a mission field, how many people are, are taking what they're learning on Sundays and Wednesdays and living that out in the, the spheres of influence and places God has, has called them to live. I mean, I, I think you can measure it in a couple ways. You can measure it in how many people are serving like admission mission missions type things you can measure it and as much as i hate to, to do it because i think it gets over emphasized or pushed real heavily um on baptisms you know how many people will have baptized this year um I, I think it's that's a dangerous i think a slippery slope oftentimes in baptist life when we start focusing on baptism sometimes because um we we'll get them baptized and then we forget about them um, which which leads to that you know how many people do we have plugged into a discipleship group, not not just what they're doing on a Sunday or Wednesday, here at the body in the the building, but what are they doing throughout the week to build and disciple and grow together and serve the kingdom together. Those are a couple I, I think of. Is how engaged are they outside of a Sunday or Wednesday?
3: Yeah, I mean you already referenced that a little bit, Travis. Is, I mean if you don't you've not really discipled someone until that someone is discipling someone else. Yeah. Um, But I kind of look at it. I really feel strongly that the great commission doesn't just tell us what to do, but I think it also gives us some guidance on how to measure how we're doing it. Um, So it's go therefore make disciples and Matthew mentioned baptism and you've got to be careful with that. Um, Not just about baptizing and forgetting them, but baptizing them before they, have really believed. You mean don't dip them and drop them? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> right. don't, don't dip and drop. <laughs> um, and don't have to put them in a position to be double dipped either. <laughs> but,
0: um, not
1: just
2: for peanuts anymore, ministry. is it? That's welcome right. to student ministry, my friends. Welcome to student ministry. Yeah.
3: But but you know the Great Commission doesn't just stop with baptizing them. It goes on to, to talk about teach them the things that I have commanded you and that really gets into the reprodu- the reproducible part um i think is um is how many people are confident enough in their ability to teach someone else the commands of christ or about christ or even just to evangelize um and then i also feel like sometimes we and we should not do this, but sometimes we sort of separate the great commandment from the great commission. And I believe the two are joined at the hip. Um, I don't know how you do the great commission without being obedient to the great commandment. And so, um, you know, loving God and loving, loving others, um, sort of hand in hand there with the great commission, I think is sort of a, a way to measure, you know, what are, what are my people, what are my people doing? Uh, the, the prac, sort of a, I guess a practical, example of that this isn't something that we are currently practicing here but we've thrown around the idea instead of measuring attendance at all um like record gospel conversations throughout the week have people report the gospel conversations that they've had um or if there have been any um, conversions anyone one to christ through those gospel conversations but not just the gospel conversations and conversions but even just like uh some people call them random acts of kindness, but really the good Samaritan, loving your neighbor uh, type actions and, and counting those things. And that goes back to the point that you made earlier, Travis. I don't know if we were recording or not, but even celebrating those things um, because what what you celebrate is what people's going to strive for. So if you just celebrate attendance, then that's the only thing people are going to strive for.
1: It's a low bar, but that's a bar yeah. that most people can clear to come in. Absolutely.
3: absolutely and then
1: everybody gets applauded for yeah and look let's be can we be brutally honest on here and says the appalachian baptist network and you know we're gonna we're gonna if you want sugar coating in this episode you're gonna have to go to the candy store right because we're not going to do it here when it comes times traditionally for a lot of churches to pick leaders don't they simply pick leaders in the church based on the abcs and not based on fruits of the spirit reproduction of discipleship one another commands and the great commission don't they usually just pick it on well he comes on sunday morning sunday night wednesday night
2: typical and then, most churches bodies yeah
1: yep and we wonder why we have in the some problems ways, we have the the legal yeah the the problems and the issues that we have in leadership All right. Let me ask you this, brother. So while we're talking about this, because one of the things I think we have to do is we have to we have to not just dip them and drop them, as we said a minute ago. We have to actually point them in the right direction and lead them. Is there a way to create a rubric where we measure and celebrate like the fruits of the spirit in the church when disciples do a good job of the fruits of the spirit? Is there any way we could come up with a way to do that?
2: I mean, one one of the ways, I mean, in, in the culture, I mean, you sit there and think about this. I mean, and you got to be careful again to where you don't become legalistic in it. But think back to 40 years ago when people went to Sunday school. What kind of little envelope did they have to check when they came into the Sunday school class?
1: I went to Sunday school last week. I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. That four, four days ago. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm talking about the envelopes that they used to pass out oh yeah 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 where it said have you read have you have you read your bible this week have you have you brought your tithe have you have you all these little questions you ask and those were kind of marks that they were making to say is our Sunday school class healthy or effective I think in a way to do and it's you got to be very careful like I'm saying not to be legalistic in the approach but what are the things we're aiming towards? Are we aiming towards, like Brent said, are we aiming towards gospel conversations? Are we aiming towards random acts of kindness? Are we aiming towards these things? And let's celebrate them. Hey guys, has any, has anybody this week had an amazing gospel conversation you want to share with us? Hey guys, have y'all have y'all seen this week when, when y'all were out and about at work or at the grocery store or something where you, you were able to sit there and just serve somebody because Christ gave you the love that we're called to live other people? I think it's, speaking and vocalizing the things that we see that are important and celebrating them in the moment. Um, maybe or maybe not having the, the checkoff list because then it becomes legalism, but finding opportunities of the things that these are things we should be doing. So let's mention them, share them and celebrate them.
1: Yeah. And the reality is, you know, if you're listening to this episode and you're new into your church you know, you're going to probably do a lot of pouring into people and not seeing a lot of quick return and turnaround on output necessarily. It can take time. And I think before we started this episode, Brent, you were, you were sharing a little bit with us about an experience you just had in in your church. And would you mind sharing that again for with us now?
3: Yeah. So, and I think, I think we've even talked about it on the podcast before, but um, you know, several years back I spent, like a year preaching on really the Great Commission is what it was all tying back to. I mean, I didn't just spend a year on like Matthew 28, but we spent like a year emphasizing discipleship and making disciples to the point where people were so tired of it that they started leaving the church, which is a different, totally different topic in and of itself. But um, over about the last year, we've been studying through the Gospel of Matthew and now we're to the end of the gospel of Matthew and I've been, I'll be going on five weeks just on the great commission passage now. And one people are loving it, but two, even like on Wednesday nights, we've been kind of having a round table discussion about discipleship and things like that. And it's just, you can just see it in people's eyes that it's clicking. And now we have people in the church that are actively out in the community during the week trying to reproduce disciples and have those uh, initial gospel conversations or either follow-up conversations that have never been had and, and really advocating for disciple making. And I know that it's happening because I'm getting a lot of feedback and frustration from people saying, man, I'm, I'm trying to make disciples, but uh, nobody, nobody's buying it, you know? And, they're, they're running into that issue with church people. You know, we were talking about people that are faithful to attend, but they have no concept of what it actually means to be a disciple. And they're having conversations with those type people and they're just hitting a brick wall. And so um, they're coming back frustrated now, not because of the message that I'm preaching, but because of the message that they're getting back from the community as they're trying to live out the great commission. So, and I mean, I've been here for seven years and it's really been a seven year process before it's ever even clicked.
2: Yeah. Now I I think within that also, as as you're trying to reshift a culture, it it takes, it takes time and it takes a lot of time and it's, it's rough. And I mean, if people have been been followers of Christ for 50 years, 30 years, 10 years, whatever it is, um, if they haven't been, if the culture of discipleship has not been embedded in them, in their DNA, it's hard to get them to see the value in it. It's hard, to, it's hard to get people that are used to, church is what I go to on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, and a Wednesday night, and I don't do anything in between. Um, when you're shifting that culture to more discipleship-making process, it's hard for them to get by in at first. But I think once they taste and see that, man, this is good, this is needed, This is what it's, this is what it's about um we have buy-in let's see buy-in and discipleship takes time it, it takes your time and people are very 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 um stingent with time when it comes to stuff like that i we not go watch a four-hour football game all day but man i don't have an hour and a half to go meet with a group of people to open up god's word
1: or even a group of three you know, yeah. depending on how you structure it. Yeah. Um, John S. Dickerson gave some searing words about this issue in the, tw- talking about the model of church in the 20th century. I want to listen to this and then we're going to talk about it. And this is going to probably be where we land the plane for this episode. It's not going to be a real long one, but it's one that's important. Whatever you focus on, that person or problem, here's what he said, whatever you focus on, that person or or problem will get your energy. Mm. We have been so attentive to numbers, among other things, that we have not focused on genuine relational discipleship. Mm -hmm. This is not because we think discipleship is unimportant. Any Christian leader will tell you it is of undeniable uttermost importance, but examine the calendar, the weekly routine of us pastors and leaders, and you won't find much room for relational discipleship. The tyranny of the urgent has overtaken us. The late 20th century church model and many applications require so much energy and attention that little to nothing is left for anything else, including discipleship. Mm. What do you think about that, brothers?
2: Thinking through that and how much time and energy do we put into just the things we do each week? I mean, if you sit there, if you're, I mean, I think 20th century, what program church became more programmatic. Um, So how much, how much time did our volunteers spend in going and making sure the children's ministry was ready. And in the nineties that the gym ministry was ready to roll with outreach. And, you know, whatever, whatever it was, was we spent so much time here at the building that you didn't give time for life outside the body. You have a lot of adults that are burnt out a lot of older adults that went through the programs that I've served my time and I'm exhausted and they don't really want to do anything else um they've retired, so to speak and yeah
3: well true. there's a b there's a there's a burnout factor for sure, but then on top of that when um when sort of from the from the top down in church leadership programs are the thing that's being emphasized then naturally that's going to take the emphasis off of personal and relational. And yeah. so it's not just that they're tired now and that they're burnt out, but it's that they have no concept of personal. The yeah. They, they they have, they have no concept of personal discipleship. They think discipleship happens in programs.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll give you a prime example of something we're walking through here. We're in the process of shifting um, for a couple of reasons. Um, From more of a life Sunday school, we call our Sunday school life groups, but more from a life group on Sunday mornings in the building to community groups that meet in homes throughout the week. And with that, we have, I know it's a radical idea, um, but with that, we have a group of younger people that would be older than me, but not quite, you know, in their fifties, they're in their upper thirties. Forty-two, forty-three, right there in that spectrum. You mean my age group? Matthew? Oh, your age, Travis. Sorry, I I, I didn't realize that. You well, talking about either old,
1: what is it, geriatric millennials, or old millennials, or young exers, older millennials? One of the on but the line. that thir,
2: that thirty-six to forty-four spectrum, and they for years met on Thursday nights in at the church and did their Bible study. We're in this process of going, guys, like we're trying to get away from the building a home is far more inviting and, you know, just trying to multiply out our our community groups. And this group is having a really hard time, you know, buying in to not meeting at the building. Like we've got to meet at the building. Like last night I had a conversation with one of the guys trying to encourage him um, that the church has even said, well, watch the kids on Wednesdays. Y'all go meet at someone's home on Wednesday nights and have a community group. And he's like, man, we want to meet Thursdays. We want to meet at the building and we want we'll pay for the child care for them to watch our kids in. We'll pay for whoever to come watch the kids in the nursery and children's ministry area. We just, we feel like we've got to meet at the building if we're going to have this community group. And I don't know why y'all won't let us. Um, that people just don't, they've programmed the building and they can't see the, you go to acts and, There wasn't a church building; there were homes.
1: Well, if you all right, since you brought this up, this episode is not really about this, but since you brought it up, I'm gonna I'm gonna point out another comment that's made in this book, Future Church, where he asked the question, "What are the four? What are the reasons that people come to church?" And he actually calls it the four, the four Ps, and it says place, personality, programs, and people. Those are the four Ps. So place is the location of the church building you know if it's in close proximity we're obviously not going to go to church in mobile when we live in Avery county right i don't know because why you
2: wouldn't or trap so hot yeah. down here you can you can have a sauna while you're in worship <laughs> um
1: personality oh, i just got a text from satan here he said he's down in mobile he said it's just <laughs> like home it's so hot i can't stand it that's what he just sent me
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh the second one look, is personal. what what you got a text from Satan.
1: <laughs> Listen, we go way back to before I was in ministry. Okay, so, and uh, he's he's a member of my church. You guys didn't know. So, <laughs> anyway, he he joined. Have of you all ever read Screw Tape letters? He joined the church years ago. I mean, we all know this, right? So, anyway, uh, personality. So that's the personality of the pastor. You know, usually it's the leader, a leader or the leader. Programs. I think that's pretty self-explanatory and then people. And then he gives an analogy of when the church starts going, what you want is vision and relationship, like driving a car. If you can picture these four people in a car, Vanessa, yeah. you want vision driving relationships in the driver's seat. You want programs supporting vision and you want structure supporting relationships but inevitably vision gets tired and then programs take the wheel and program never wants to turn loose of the wheel ever again is basically what happens. And so you have program and structure in the front seat to the point to where vision and, and, and relationships just get out of the car completely. You know, they're not even in the car anymore. It's on autopilot, so to speak. And I think that's what, I think that's what happens. I think it's a very good picture of what happens to churches over time. That's the institutional drift that churches face. They move away from the original vision of disciple making because really the vision for grace Baptist and Minneapolis and and all churches is for to go therefore make disciples in the context we're in and that vision just gets lost over time to things like structure and programs and preferences so mm-hmm. all right uh closing thoughts on the on the podcast today what are some things what are some things that we can, are there any other ideas on things we can celebrate whenever we're thinking about how to encourage a a culture of discipleship? I think uh, really pushing the great commandments and celebrating that whenever you see those done well is a good thing. Uh, there's enough great commandments. You could actually make a calendar of great commandments for people. There's 31, I think, of the New Testament. Help them to do that. I think that the pastor has got to model disciple making. I, I think that it's yeah. got to if it's not seen there, it's just not gonna happen. Just like he yeah. has to model evangelism, he has to model disciple making. And yes. here's a good question though. How many people at a time should a pastor pour himself into, you think?
2: Twelve. Twelve? Like Jesus? I mean I I think the reality is three. I mean for me. No, three. For me, I'm pouring into two groups right now. I've got four students that I'm pouring into on a weekly basis and two adults that I'm pouring into on a weekly basis. Doing the same thing with both of them, but just meeting them at a different time. So you've got six. So you're like half of Jesus. If I can just be half of him. I'm an-
1: <laughs> He is ambitious, sir. That's an
2: interesting theology you have. There. But And, and the, the reason is, is two of the guys are guy leaders. that help out with student ministry and four students or four guys that I see that have the potential to be leaders. And so pouring into them and the goal is within a year that they're starting to disciple and do the same thing I'm doing with them with three to four other guys.
3: Yeah, I would. I, I mean, I feel like the sweet spot is is. 3 for me. Um I definitely wouldn't say 12. <laughs> that was maybe a Jesus thing. Um, but but even, I could see, that,
2: but even within the I 12 see. Jesus had 3 that he did most of his stuff with. That that's right. I he could still hang around him, but he had 3 that he did life with.
3: I could see 6. So you, are you doing are you doing one-on-one with all 6 or you're doing uh, like one-on no, one one-on-two one-on-four so one, four one on
2: one on but even within okay. that I'm doing some one-on-one stuff with all of them, right? Yeah. Like, hey, I'm I'm going out to do this thing. You want to ride with me? Yeah.
3: I mean, my thing would just be don't spread yourself too thin with, yeah. It, right. I mean, but from a bi standpoint, like six would be impossible, and really maybe one is all that's
2: possible. Yeah. But you, you got to look at where you're at, what stage of life, and and what you're capable of doing. Yeah. And the, the, the benefit for me is I've got two two of the guys that are in my community group and they're helping me with student ministry. So a lot of our paths pass naturally with it. So there's a lot of organic community there. Um, I tell you a book that had an
1: impact on me with disciple making, and this is an older book. Unfortunately, there wasn't as much writing when I first got into ministry on disciple making as there is now i'm glad to see a lot more now than there was you know 20 years ago and uh one one of the books that made a great impact on me you guys might know what the one i'm about to reference is going to be nope not that one he just held up one that was a little newer leroy im's book the lost art of making disciples have you brothers read that book before
2: never heard of it
1: never even heard of it uh you've heard of navigators i'm sure uh, a lot of us had to lean on Navigator material early on. I've heard it referenced. When I, yeah, whenever, you know, 20 years ago. So the whole premise of his book is that you should disciple like Jesus did. And he holds up the 12 and he says, you know, these guys put in a lot of hours. And here's one question that he had. You know, you, I want you to think about this for just a minute. And Leroy, Leroy Arms makes this point in his book, and it's very good how many hours of Jesus's life did he spend pouring into these disciples, these 12 disciples, one of which turned on him. So really 11 that were bearing fruit three, three and a half years. I mean, he didn't just show up on Sunday with these guys for three, three and a half years. They lived, you know, on the road, they lived together. I mean, you're talking of thousands of hours going into each one disciple. And then he had an inner three that he probably spent more time than the others with. So, you know, when you, when you think about how much time does it take to actually make a, a disciple that reproduces, you know, if you're going to go after Jesus's model, you're, you're talking about thousands of hours of input and you brothers, you just cannot, you cannot get that done on a Sunday, even if you did three to thrive, you know, Sunday, no. morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, it would not be possible. You're going to have to be intentional about carving out time to pour into those guys and make that. And I may, I may put that book in the reference here, but that's one. There's a lot of really good materials. Matthew, you just held up a book. Will you share that one that you,
2: I think you read as a Gaudy book. Robert Galli,ty Robbie Gallaty growing up. This is first one in the series. But I mean, if you want to look at discipleship replicating ministries, which is Robbie Gallaty's thing is killing it. In my opinion, right now I'm discipleship resources and training material. Yeah.
1: And then you always have to sort of make, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of making covenants with the people you're pouring into that they will turn around. And, you know, I've got one guy here at my church, he likes to call them contracts. And I'm like, I don't like that language. I, li- I would rather use biblical language, you know, covenantal type language is better. Um, you know, we, we believe that those that we're investing in, we hope they will turn around and make, Oh, look, there's a disciple covenant right there. Uh, so anyway, all right, but that, that would be that would be it. Uh, Brent, you got a resource that you would recommend to go along with this, brother?
3: Yeah, it's um, this one doesn't so much address the issue of personal discipleship. Matthew's holding up the Bible, and that one's pretty good too. But um, <laughs> this one is more of pastor leading the church as a whole to embrace a culture of discipleship, and that's the book Disciples Shift. Um, little, little, uh, play on words there, but it's, uh, it's, it's like a, there's several guys that contributed to it. Um, Bobby Harrington, uh, Robert Coleman and Jim Putnam all, uh, all sort of teamed up on that disciple shift. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty good on just an, a missional approach, a missional mindset and helping develop that within your congregation, uh, understanding the disciples making disciples. And then, if that doesn't work, um, just do what just what Matthew
2: held up. Use the Bible.
1: Well, there is that.
2: And that that's, <laughs> you don't have any of these
1: other resources. Use that. So. That's a
2: bulk of what I'm I'm doing with my guys is we're reading through the New Testament this year.
1: Yeah, it's exciting to see people come around to the truth of Scripture, you mm-hmm. know, and and understand things for the first time. And you kind of, you know, for lack of a better word. It's awful, but you sort of get used to it in one sense. You know what I mean? So,
2: yeah.
1: All right, well, brothers, I appreciate it. Any any closing comments uh, after your resource recommendation or encouragement for those brothers that are trying to make disciples?
3: Go therefore.
1: I'll give this closing illustration, then we'll be done. Uh, bamboo. Everybody's familiar with bamboo apparently bamboo takes about five years before it grows. So you put it in the ground, you water it and you expect expectations that it'll grow a little bit each day. But then when it comes out of the ground, it starts growing just leaps and bounds, like so many, so many inches, almost sometimes a foot a day. The question is, did it grow really a foot a day or did it grow for the five years under the soil that you couldn't see? Mm. Um, One of the challenges that makes this so hard to have a rubric is what we're working with here in disciple making is difficult to see the measurement. Mm. So stay faithful with it. Pray, continue to water, continue to nurture, continue to model and see what God does with the growth. Right. All right. Thanks guys.
2: Thank you.
0: You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our hosts, please send an email to Appalachian Baptist Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm/appalachian-baptist-network. Join us again next Monday.